Good morning everyone and welcome to the second week of our new One Another series. This week I'm really excited because I get to look at um, what it means to love one another. And already, if you're like me, you might be thinking, do we really need another sermon on loving one another? Surely there's got to be other things we could spend our time looking at. This actually um, reminded me of a story from church history, which is often told about the Apostle John, the writer of the Gospel and, and his letters. And um, it's believed that when John was old and frail and unable to walk, his disciples would carry him around the different churches. John would uh, speak to the different communities, but all he said was little children love one another. This continued week after week until at last, more than a little frustrated at this repeated phrase, his disciples asked John, Master, why do you always and only say this? Because, John replied, it is the Lord's command. And if this only is done, it is enough. I like this story because it reminds us that Jesus' most important command can often feel like the most frustrating request. Surely there is more we can do as Christians than to love one another. I mean, don't we need to stand up for other things as, as well? There has to be more that we could do, surely. Well, today, I want us to briefly look at how the call to love one another is supposed to be the most significant marker of who we are. And it's meant to be observed in all that we think, say and do. And the call to love one another is of utmost importance for our discipleship and for our mission. So firstly, we are called to not just love, but to be love. And there is a distinct difference. And it's, uh, it's showed in, if you look at um, 1 John uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through to 8. It's a great example of this. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Notice how it doesn't say that, that God loves, but that God is love. Love isn't one of God's hobbies that he does occasionally, like God creates or, or God rules. But what does it say? God is love. It's, it's who he is. It's his identity. He doesn't have to try to love or decide to love, but it's just who he is. If God rules, he rules in love. If he creates, he creates in love. There is nothing God doesn't do that is not out of love. And John says here that because God is love, God comes from a place of love and love comes from God. God is the source of all love. John says, if we don't know God in this way, okay, if we don't know that God is love, if we don't relate to him as love, then, then John says we don't know him and we can't love one another either. So if God is love, what are we? We are, as John says, the beloved, the, the loved one. John says you are born of God. You're part of God's family. He is your father. And if God is our father and he is love, what does that make us as his children? That's right. We are loved. And when we understand that God loves us and, and he's called us to be loved, it changes the way we live our whole 
lives. It really does. Life becomes less about a list of do's and don'ts and more about a calling, a holistic way of living. We are love and that's who we are. Of course, you know, we will grow and learn, but, but true change happens when you realise not just who you are, but whose you are. We are children of God, born of God, a God who is love. And from this revelation, we live lives of love. So as we look at loving one another, it's not a hobby. It's not an extra one another in our series, but it undergirds everything we do. It undergirds all of the one another's that we will look at. You could even say that this is the most important of the one another's, but we're not going to say that, are we? Because um, that wouldn't be very nice on all the really amazing people that we're going to hear over the coming weeks on different topics. We are love, but what on earth is love? Big question, what is love? And sadly, the English language isn't great when it comes to understanding love. It just, it just isn't. Um, we think of so many different things when we think of love, don't we? And, and, and we say we love so many different things. For example, you know, when we think of love, we might think of the most recent romantic film we watched. Um, this is one I watched recently. Or, or, or you might think of that restaurant that you love. Oh, I just love that restaurant. I can't stop thinking about the food. Or, or you might think of that football team that you love, that football team that you follow and love. Or you might think of a cute animal picture you, you saw on the internet. I don't know. The point is, we love many things. And basically, the English language lets us down. We want to describe different kinds of love. The Greek language, however, of the New Testament has lots of different words for love. Don't worry, I'm not going to bore us with a Greek lesson on a Sunday morning, as much as I know you'd love that, and that's, that's not going to happen. But, but what I will say is that there is romantic love in the New Testament, but there's also the love of a friend, there's the love of a parent. But there is one type of love associated with God, and this is a type of love that's supernatural, a type of love that we're unable to do in our human flesh, a type of love that is divine and it makes us stand out. It's a type of love that drives someone to the cross to give his own life up for others. And this type of love, you might have heard of it, is agape. Agape. If I was to ask you what chapter from the New Testament you think of, when you think of this kind of love, I'm sure most of us would say, oh, chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians. In this chapter, Paul essentially says that you can have all kinds of gifts and, and talents, but, but if you're not anchored in love, in divine sacrificial love, agape love, then we have nothing. We're just clanging symbols and nobody likes that, do they? Um, he goes on to describe love, and this is what he says in the most um, publicly spoken scripture, a very popular scripture. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It, it does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, 
always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And, and, and Paul goes on and he says this, and now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is the greatest because it undergirds everything. And because even after Jesus has returned, right, to restore all things, love will be the only thing that endures. Most of us associate this chapter with weddings and with romance, don't we? And I mean, that's a shame because when Paul wrote this, he wasn't thinking about weddings or sentimental love. For Paul, this commitment to, to love one another was for everyone, including marriage, of course, but it's for everyone in the church community. Paul saw a church community in, in Corinth who had their divisions and, and, and fallouts. And Paul believed the solution to these problems was, was that they would capture a grand vision of what divine love looks like. This divine agape love it is not a mere feeling because we know feelings come and go, don't they? This divine love is, is almost always an action and it's, it's often always quite costly too. This, this kind of love pauses and prays and, and thinks before it posts on social media. This divine agape love is, is holiness and, and holiness is love. It's purity in, in, in what and how we think. This divine love is, it's never in a rush. This divine agape love always gives others the benefit of the doubt and it always thinks the best of them too. But, but what does it mean to love one another with regards to discussions around race and discrimination? We've just heard a brilliant discussion from Richard Lacundo, Mike and, and Cynthia around this topic. Uh, last Friday night, uh, uh, we, the King's Church Young Adults hosted a really great conversation corner um, over Zoom. And together uh, we listened to the, the difficult experiences which black and other ethnic minorities have faced throughout their lives. It was a really powerful and humbling evening of just sharing understanding and, and learning and, and listening but it was a great expression of what loving one another looks like and Paul says we know in part it, in other words love is humble enough to say I don't have all the answers and I don't fully understand but regardless I open myself up to understand the statement Black lives matter is not inferring that other lives are, are less, but it's an acknowledgement that institutions and, and policies throughout the world often do not treat all lives as fully equal. What did we just read? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. This means that whenever one group is dehumanized or systematically oppressed, Love is provoked. Love listens. Love mourns. Love weeps. Love is not silent. Love rejoices in truth. Love isn't afraid to say hard things to those that we love. Sometimes to love one another is understood as tolerance or, or niceness. 
you know, you hear, don't you? Just, just, just be nice, be polite, have, have good table manners, you know, or live and let live. But people don't get crucified for being just nice. You know, the, the type of love Jesus calls us to is far higher and far superior than just niceness. Love protects, Paul says, and it stands up for the oppressed. So we are love, that's who we are. We, we love one another with agape love, but why? Because loving one another in, in this way is the greatest witness to Christianity. Somebody once asked John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, what the greatest obstacle to the general spread of the gospel was. And, and Wesley simply replied, the lives of Christians. I think, that's, um, I think that's brilliant. Our love for one another and our lack of love for others um, as a church is such a powerful message for those who don't yet know God. And this kind of agape love is still not the norm in our, in our world. The mantra is still each to their own. Of course, you know, there are really nice people in our world who aren't Christians and we meet these people, don't we? And we say to ourselves, you know, they would be really good Christians, right? You know, they would be better Christians than me. <laughs> maybe we're being a bit too harsh on ourselves there. Uh, I don't know, maybe. But uh, Jesus and the New Testament writers demand from each of us to show love towards our brothers and sisters in the church first and foremost because it glorifies God and points people to him. If you go to John 13, and uh, it says in, in John 13, it says, a new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Loving others is not a new commandment, it's in Leviticus. Um, but, but loving others as yourself or as Jesus has loved you is a completely radical way of loving others. Think of people in your life who annoy you, who frustrate you, or even people who have ridiculed you and made you angry and bitter. The love Jesus is talking about here means loving the lives of these people and others more than your own. Jesus laid down his life for others because he valued their lives over his own. And when we try to practice this kind of love, we, we soon discover it's not easy, is it? But you can do it. We can do it. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you who enables you to go beyond human love onto divine agape love. And, and you know what's amazing? I see this kind of love often in our church community. I see and I hear stories of divine agape love in our community all the time. And, and I too experience sacrificial love from godly people. But I, I think we can do more. We can always do more. So as I end now, I want to challenge you to a competition. And this is the best kind of competition. Paul writes in Romans 12 verse 10, I love this verse, that we're called to be devoted to one another in love, outdo one another above yourselves. So I want to challenge you to ask yourself, how can I bless and show love to people in my Zoom group, for example, or just in my church family this week? Is there a person that God is calling you to give of your time and wisdom to pour into? 
and don't be polite, you know, and don't wait for others to make the first move. Just get their number, call them, even if it's just initially 10 minutes. Or, you know, who can you pray for or send a quick message to this week? Whose door can you uh, drop a check through, you know? Whose who's takeaway or shopping can you pay for this week? And I'll leave you to come up with more creative ideas of loving others this week. But um, we can do this and, and we can do much more because, because we are love. It's, it's, it's who we are. It's our identity. And we love loving one another because we know his love for us. And this is our discipleship. But at the same time, beautifully, it is our mission too. Bless you and have a wonderful week.